0: Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and you are listening to Oscar's podcast, a podcast dedicated to the filmography of Oscar Isaac, presented by The Daily Drunk. For each episode, I invite a new guest to chat with me about one project on Oscar's IMDb page. And this week, we'll be discussing the Coen Brothers 2013 masterpiece, Inside Llewyn Davis. In November of 2020, A.O. Scott and Manola Dargis, the chief film critics at the New York Times, put together a list of the 25 greatest actors of the 21st century so far. And on the admirably international and wide-ranging list that Scott and Dargis came up with, which included legends like Catherine Deneuve, Song Kang Ho, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Denzel Washington, Oscar Isaac landed the number 14 spot. And Isaac has definitely given more than one great performance, but it's undoubtedly his breakthrough role in Inside Lewin Davis that cemented Isaac's reputation as one of today's best working actors. Uh, Dargis writes of the quote, profound first impression that Isaac made on her in the film and the photo that accompanies the blurb on the list is of course, Isaac in character as Lewin Davis holding an orange cat. Now, Lewin Davis was Isaac's first leading role, and it's really hard to overstate what Isaac accomplishes in the film. It's a masterful performance, made even better by the fact that it's the centerpiece of a film that I deeply, deeply love. So please join me and my guest this week as we discuss what we love about the film, what we love about Oscar Isaac's work in it, and why we find Inside Lewin Davis so rewatchable. (laughs)
1: Yeah? Hey, it's me, loon Yeah? Can I come up?
0: No. Explain the cat. What's its name? I I don't know. He snuck out the Do you think you're staying here tonight? Leaving? Oh, I was hoping to.
1: So, I can't stay here tonight?
0: If I had wings, I know What'd you say you played Folk songs. Folk songs. Solo act?
1: No, I had a partner. Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. George Washington Bridge? You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge? Traditionally, George Washington Bridge. Who does that?
0: I'm so excited to have Kasha, a friend of mine, here with me today to discuss Inside Lewin Davis. It's one of my personal favorite films, and I know that it's Kasha's as well. So when I was putting together the guest list for this podcast, I immediately knew that I was going to ask Kasha to talk with me about this film, because she loves it just as much as I do. So I'm so excited to have her with me here today to discuss this film. Hi, Kasha.
1: Hi, I'm so excited to chat with you today.
0: I hear this is your first podcast.
1: It's <laughs> definitely my first podcast. Had to figure out the AirPod connection getting on. So
0: we worked it out. Thanks, Google.
1: <laughs> All sorted. Yeah. I'm excited to join you today.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful that you agreed to be on the podcast with me and you agreed to try something new. I think we're going to have a great conversation. So we are talking about Inside Lewin Davis today, which is a two thousand thirteen film directed by the Cohen brothers. Um, could you give me like a quick synopsis of the film? What's the like two sentence elevator pitch?
1: Of the, the elevator plot? pitch uh, is being dropped into about a week of Lewin Davis's life, uh, and it's kind of follows. The form of a folk song and that it starts and ends in the same place, um, which I think is great for a film that is also about folk music. He is a folk musician, a singer who is going through a very hard week. <laughs> uh, and the Coen brothers just put him through even more the entire time.
0: In true Coen brothers style. <laughs>
1: as, as they just need to do, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, Yeah, so I think we see him, it it opens with a performance, it ends with a performance, and also a beating, it should be noted. Um, And we see Lewin on a very literal journey, um, figuring out his situation, uh, finding a place, well, not finding a place to live, but uh, kind of couch surfing as it is, and finding work, and I think some have described it, including the Coen brothers, as a kind of plotless film, um, which I think we'll discuss a little bit more later. But uh, one of the kind of things that runs through it is his relationship to the cat, um, <laughs> which at the beginning he is staying uh, at some kind of benefactors' but friends' uh, apartment, and uh, the cat gets out. And so he spends part of the film. Uh, with the cat, watching the cat, losing the cat, finding the cat again. Um,
0: Finding a different cat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is a terrible synopsis. No one is going to follow this elevator pitch.
0: No, I love it. Because like you said, the film is a little plotless. So I feel like this kind of meandering plot summary is actually very much in line with the spirit of the film. I think you're capturing the vibe of the film really well, actually. (laughs)
1: We're, yeah we're going through Lewin's life with him for a week and i i it doesn't provide a lot of context which personally is something i really i really like
0: yeah it does feel like you've just been kind of dropped into his life um and you learn about him as the and his situation as the film goes along but as you said there's really no um exposition or or no context that's provided in any sort of kind of unnatural way. Like it comes up in conversation and things, but there's no, um, there's very little kind of explanation of how and Davis has gotten to the point that he's at. Um, and there are things, of course you can surmise. Um, but yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: It's very rooted, you know, in place like pretty much all Cohen films are. I would say very much in New York city and the Greenwich village folk scene. Um, And I feel like that's kind of the context that's really offered.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And I think um, that the music in this film is kind of one of the defining features of it. Um, There are several performances of full songs. um, And I think that I wouldn't go so far necessarily as to describe this film as a musical, but the music is very integral and yes. I think because of that, the film got a lot of comparisons to *O Brother War Art though.
1: There's also some, yeah, you know, some Odyssey, some Odyssey strings in there. So. Yes,
0: the Cat Odysseus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, yeah, yeah, it's very. And I think I don't know if T Bone or the Coens or both have described it as kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the right word, like the child kind of film too. Oh, brother which feels right
0: yeah it's kind of like a, a a spiritual successor or like a a sibling or something um i mean i definitely see the connections between the two films and um so this film the character of lewin davis who is played by oscar isaac he plays the lead uh is loosely based on dave van ronk correct yes
1: absolutely very important thing as it's also named after the album Inside Dave Ronk um, and loose, I think very very loosely based off the mayor of McDougal Street
0: mm-hmm. yeah everything that I've read when the Coens have talked about it they talk about how it was sort of it was inspired by Dave Van Ronk but it's like in no way like a biopic or um, you know in no way is Lewin actually supposed to be Dave Van Ronk <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I think Oscar Isaac has talked about this a little bit too because he is very different in um, stature and physique from Van Ronk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he's talked about that, like when he got cast, that that was kind of when he was like, "This isn't, this isn't actually Dave Van Ronk right?"
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like going into an audition, they're wanting someone like six inches taller is going to be a bit of a barrier.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know that you love this film um, and I know that you love it as much as I do. But when we were talking prior to recording, you were telling me that your appreciation for this film kind of grew over time. So it wasn't like you saw it the first time and immediately fell in love with it. It was something that you kind of revisited and it hit you in a new way. And I was wondering if you could talk with me a little bit about that, kind of how you fell in love with this film.
1: Of course. Um, It's funny because I remember seeing this when it came out, but like, that's really all I can say. <laughs> like, it, I think it just came out at a really busy time in my life too, because I remember that about other films that came out around that time where it's like, yeah, I know I saw them and they just like didn't land with me for whatever reason. Um, But I rewatched it when I was in divinity school for a hope and despair class where I thought about writing about it uh, for one of the assignments And I ended up choosing a different um, piece of media. But when I was watching it for that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, there's something going on here. I really, really like this. And then I continued staying really busy with grad school. But in 2020 was when it like really became a comfort watch for me. And so it was like, I kind of fell in love with it around, I guess probably was like 2017 when I was in divinity school. And then 2020 onward it's been like a big comfort watch film for me it's climbed its way up my favorites in a good slow burn fashion um and yeah I think it kind of went from being like my favorite Coen Brothers film to like just my favorite film along the way (laughs)
0: yeah yeah it's also one of my favorite films I I watch it quite often but it's interesting that you call it a comfort film could you (laughs) could you expand on that because I I feel like there are some people who would watch this film and be like, how is this a comfort film?
1: I do get asked that whenever I have mentioned that pretty much to anyone. Um, I think some of it is, um, yeah, kind of like that folk song structure and that like, it feels very familiar. Like the music is very comforting to me it helps everyone who is performing in the film it sounds amazing. Um, So like that musical aspect is really great. But I think also for all that the Cohens put Lewin through, um, I think a lot of it is a story of like resilience and persistence. And it's like in times, especially that have been like really hard seasons. I think there's something strangely relatable, but, but it's also like this, this if this man's gonna keep like rolling this thing up and trying over and over and standing up after getting beaten down over and over that's just like i don't know if comforting is actually the right word but it is like a comfort watch and that um i don't know it's there's a sense of familiarity to all all of these points in the film and something we'll get into later is i don't think that he a lot of people i think describe him as like a manipulative or a bad character and because I don't feel that way, I think it's also like a different approach to how I feel about the film when I'm watching. So
0: I love the way that you described that, the the sort of folk structure, the kind of way that the film is structured like a folk song and it's structured like, you know, it's structured kind of circularly like it's meant to be told again and again. And yeah. I think that is something that draws me back to the film. Cause I, as I said, I do watch it quite frequently. It is, a film that I find to have a high rewatchability factor. That sounds so analytic. I did not <laughs> think that way. Like, I just love it. So I watch it all the time. But there are, you know, there are certain films that you love, but you don't want to watch again and again. Oh, yeah. Um, and I agree with you. This is one that I do revisit quite often. And and I do think that there's something... Yeah, I mean, comforting isn't really the right word, but I don't find this film to be depressing. No. Um, and I, I think some people I've talked to do find it depressing which is kind of curious to me I mean Lewin is clearly depressed but I don't really yeah. find the film overall to be depressing I mean
1: no and I something that I think I also might view differently is that um I think I see points of growth at the end of the film um despite the fact he's very literally in the same place that we meet him at the beginning. Um, I guess that's part of the folk song thing too is that you come back at the end and you know all these things that you didn't know at the start um so I think in that sense like I felt like he's a very empathetic character um it's it's really it is interesting yeah I think there's like the familiarity of and again like he very literally is in the same place as the beginning because we're back to it but there's also kinds of breaks in the loop and that You know, he literally is back where he started at the Gore Fines the week before or however many days it's been, but this time he doesn't make the mistake of letting out the cat. Like, he learned from that experience and, like, it's also around this time that he actually does have a moment of vulnerability with Gene, which, like, throughout the film, he very much struggles connecting or being open with people when he isn't performing, at least. Um, He actually just, Like, has you know, tells someone that he's really tired and he's considering giving up, and then and he actually, like, there's a moment where he asks her how she's doing because he doesn't realize how much time really has passed or not passed. (laughs) Um, but there's like a tone in his voice that is so deeply sound, kind of when he asks that, and it's also, I think, a time where we see him like caring openly for someone else. At the end, he also apologizes for being a dick, which we don't really see him do throughout the film. So I think there's, like, kind of a lot of things at the end that show, yeah, maybe he's in the cycle, but also, I don't know, maybe not. Um, I think it might even be more open-ended than Nicole's intentioned when I view it that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they necessarily intended that, but authorial intent. Like, I don't know her, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Once it's out, it's in our hands. Sorry, Joel and Ethan. There's um, so many
1: times Ethan will comment on Lewin in interviews, and I'm just like, take it take it back <laughs> 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 agreeing to disagree with the creator
0: <laughs> so um, is Oscar Isaac's performance in this film as Lewin Davis something that you Kind of appreciated from the start, or is it something that you grew to appreciate over time? Um, Also, like, is this the film that made you an Oscar Isaac fan, or was it another one?
1: So when I revisited this film, it was also around the time I was revisiting um, Ex Machina, which I think I rewatched a little after this because it was around the time Annihilation came out. So I think it was like sometime within the the same year that I watched rewatched Luin and. I think just seeing both of those, which were for both films that I love. And I'm I love Alex Garland so much, <laughs> like as a director. So it's like he's worked for some of my favorite directors, got me more interested in his work and seeing just how totally different he was, like transforming for these roles. I was kind of like, Who who is this guy? Like, what's he been up to? And so I was kind of late on the game because I think at that point maybe he was even had been in Star Wars and I had seen him in kind of some other some other films along the way um but it wasn't probably until around that time that I started like really appreciating his work and the performances and the work that he was putting in um and started following his career a little bit more closely
0: so you would say like this was one of the films that kind of helped you develop an appreciation for him it was just kind of delayed from like yeah Yeah,
1: okay yeah. So I was I was late. I was late to the Oscar Isaac train, but uh, <laughs> got caught him on board. And this, yeah, and it's clearly a film I fell in love with. And he carries the whole thing. I mean, he's in almost every frame that there's people in. Um, so I think it was, it's a film where I weirdly just like cared so much about this character. And I was like, who is this guy that made me care so much about someone who who's very disconnected, um, which is a hard performance to give.
0: I would say that I actually had a similar experience as far as um, why I kind of became interested in Oscar Isaac as an actor. Um, It was this performance. I saw this movie when it came out in the theater. I saw it three times in the theater. I was immediately taken by it. Because it it was kind of, it just felt, it was one of those movies that felt made for me, you know, like, i really was into folk music at that time um i was like it started of course with like mumford and sons but then like with the kind of indie folk revival but then i started working backwards and becoming more interested in the history of it i was like really into bob dylan at that time oh yeah um and then i loved like i i still do but i love new york in the 60s uh because i watched mad men at a very formative age Um, (laughs) So I was like, 1961 Greenwich Village, I'm there. Um, and I love the Cohen brothers and I have an extremely dark sense of humor. Like, you know, that's <laughs> why I love their work. And um, I was also kind of going through the thing that I think a lot of people go through in college as an undergrad where I was like finally facing failure for the first time in my life you know, like in a meaningful way. <laughs> because yeah. I, you know, I grew up, you know, middle class, white, f- privileged. I didn't go through anything. I was a very successful student, you know, in high mm-hmm. school, I was like high achieving. And I got to college and like, you just you don't succeed at everything. That's just life. And I was kind <laughs> of like, at that point in my life where I was like, okay, I have to deal with, like, failure and the fact that I'm going to fail sometimes and that is something that I just was processing. And, like, it sounds, I mean, it is kind of dumb, but at the time it felt very, like, pressing to me. <laughs> and, and this film really, like, spoke to that um, as well. And, uh, and of course, yeah, I found new things in the film as I revisit it. But at that time, um, that was one of the things that I really that really spoke to me about it. And I loved Oscar Isaac in this film. And I always tell people that this was the first movie I saw with Oscar Isaac in it. But that's not true, actually. (laughs) Um, Doing the kind of research for this podcast and putting together, you know, going through his filmography in a more systematic way. I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw Drive in the theater. Oh, yeah, I saw Robin Hood in the theater. But I just took no note of Oscar Isaac in those films. And this was the first film where I was like who is that? That is someone that I need to keep an eye on because he is so fucking good in this movie. <laughs> and amazing. I think it's it's exactly for the reason that you were saying that he brings so much to this character who could be so who could be so off-putting on paper, right? And in certain ways he is, but I feel like Oscar Isaac brings a real kind of yeah, soulfulness to the role, and uh, uh, yeah,
1: I do think there's a lot of warmth to the character, which is something I have often wondered. Again, with the Coens writing this, like how much of that, you know, as they're working, Oscar and the Coens working together to kind of bring this character to an embodied <laughs> on film person. Um, I I know that he has he has spoken about his work uh bringing the character to life and that he didn't tell them all the things that he did and afterwards he was like oh I did this thing and they were like oh interesting that makes sense like we totally totally didn't even notice that while we were filming and so um yeah I've always kind of wondered just how you know how much is the writing and how much is the acting and what is the balance there as someone who doesn't work in that industry to really know
0: yeah, I mean, kind of based on the film itself, the film's um, cinematography is so kind of cold and gray, and and the other performances in the film are very kind of lack warmth on purpose. And I'm thinking particularly of like Carrie Mulligan's character. Um, <laughs> I love her performance in this film. amazing. Um yes. she's very kind of. Uh, harsh (laughs) in a lot of parts (laughs) and uh i'm thinking of yeah all of the characters that kind of surround lewin are a little more i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but maybe a little more bitter you know like he like lewin is bitter but he's more like i don't know he's mean but he's like mean because he's sad (laughs) like not because
1: he's he's grieving yeah honestly the man's going through it so and I I think it's something that interests me a lot is that he's surrounded by people that he doesn't want to be like um I feel like really every turn it's like the Gorefines are kind of you know this like upper academia upper west side couple and then he views Jim and Jean as people using art to like have a suburban careerist life and like he has anxieties about what he sees about his future and his dad and his sister and it's like at every turn he's just surrounded by people you know who he views as to some extent living either inauthentically or some other life that he doesn't want to have and so there's like an interesting anxiety to that that I feel like ends up coming out in these like times when he lashes out at people um and so in that sense, I'm kind of like, I get it. <laughs> you know? Like the time when he goes off at the dinner party, I'm like, this is socially unacceptable. But what you're saying, is not wrong?
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And and I also think there's a sense in which uh, the, I mean, the script kind of sets it up so that, I mean, Lewin is an asshole. But there are a lot of instances where he's, like, not wrong. Like, when he's asking <laughs> Troy, like, do you plug yourself in at night? Like, that's a valid question. He's very blank, you know? <laughs> and, like, when he's, you know, being mean to John Goodman because he's, like, you know, won't shut up in the back of the car. And he asks him, you know, if I stick this cane up your ass, will it all fit up there or will some still stick out? Like, you kind of are, like, for him. <laughs> you're kind of on his side because you want John Goodman to be quiet. <laughs> I don't know i mean i think I think there is there is an interesting way in which I think part of it is the writing and part of it is Oscar Isaac's performance, where Lewin Davis is a character who really really sits right on the edge of like he's not really an asshole, but he's not really likable either he's he really like rides that line in a very successful way, and i think but I really do think that the wrong person in the role would tip it one way or the other, you know. Um, Absolutely, and I think, I think Oscar Isaac does bring a warmth to the role, like you said, that I I don't necessarily see in the script. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that that doesn't necessarily make Lewin more sympathetic than he should be. You know, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Well, I think there's also an element of the film where we see, uh, you know, perhaps the recognition that this is one week of his life that we're seeing and that, you know, he does have these friends in this community that really cares about him. And we have other instances where he's, you know, meeting with a doctor about something and he's like, Hey, you know, I don't see you anymore. And so it's like, you have these little bits that show kind of who he was maybe before the grief of losing his partner, um, his musical partner, Mikey. And, um, you know, we don't know how long he has been without a home. And so all of these other things, and it's like, what was he like before he was in the circumstance that he was in Um, because clearly he hasn't always you know been the way that we see him and so that's something that really interests me too is that I think maybe there's kind of like a warmth from before that where he clearly did have you know and still does have friends and people who Mm -hmm. saw him around and cared about seeing him around and and care to make sure that he has somewhere to sleep when they're not too pissed off at him (laughs)
0: And I also think that something that I have seen in the film that I didn't necessarily um, the first few times I watched it, it's kind of an understanding that I've brought to the film with more life experience than the more times I've watched it. And we mentioned this at the top of the episode, but I really do think that that Lewin makes sense as a character when you think about him as depressed. I mean, I think that a lot of the behaviors that he exhibits are... You know pushing people away being an asshole thinking everyone hates you like all of that is stuff that happens when you're depressed and it's like it also it 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 brings perspective to kind of everyone in his life kind of giving him more chances and checking in on him and like the fact that a lot of his friends haven't cut him out even though they're exasperated with him or angry with him like they sort of it seems like they sort of understand that, like you were saying, he hasn't always been this way. Like he's going through shit. He's not in a great place mentally. And um, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know how you feel about like that reading of it, but that's kind of something that I have, I've found more, again, empathy for Lewin Davis as a character, kind of understanding him through that lens. Yeah.
1: I think to ask a question you actually asked at the beginning (laughs) about why I find this as perhaps a comfort watch or more hopeful film than other people is that um, I think there really is like an underlying community aspect, which again, I am not really sure how much is actually written into it by the Coens versus how much I'm bringing into my own watching. Um, But, you know, like when we see those moments of him lashing out, almost all of those are triggered by something. Um, at the dinner party, he's triggered, you know, by his grief, um, by something that happens. And then, you know, when he lashes out at, um, the woman performing on stage, uh, closer to the end, um, I think that's the most, one of the more interesting scenes to me because whenever I've heard it discussed in like press for the film, they always discusses him lashing out against, um, the actual authentic thing when he's presented with it as he's on this search for authenticity but it's also which it is that's very much part of that scene but part of it too is like he's responding to the fact that gene is sleeping with other people and poppy is using her and like there's a lot going on with that that like forces him you know in some way it's forced him to lash out at the things that he loves including folk music and everything else like all the things surrounding that and so you know i kind of look at I think a lot of the things that people might characterize as him not being a great person is like very contextual. And then also underneath all of that, like he pretty much fucks up in some of the worst ways that you can with people in his life, you know, losing a cat or having perhaps an accidental pregnancy or things like that. And it's like, by all of that, those are still the people who pull through for him at the end of the day. And like, support his career and help him get a gig and say, why are you giving up right now? And like, yeah, you did completely berate us in front of our friends and lose our cat, but we're still offering you a place to stay, which feels, I think there can be some mixed readings on the friends, but that moment feels relatively unconditional, which is really nice. And so I think it's like, I think that's the most any of us can ask for is like, when we're going through a hard time to have people who are like, will keep showing up for you and reading for you, even when we're mad at you, (laughs) you know, or anything else. And that feels really hopeful despite everything else that he's going through.
0: I agree with you. I don't know about you, but like, I feel like I've been on both sides of that. Like I've been, I've been the one who's like not in a great space mentally and like acting out and like being a shitty friend and (laughs) asking for the forgiveness. And I'm, I've also been the one who is the friend who's like, you know, been being asked for the forgiveness. And it's like, I feel like that is kind of, you know, especially now that I think people are having more open conversations about mental health. I think that's kind of a universal experience for a lot of us. Like we've been on both sides where it's like, we know what it's like to be the one who's like fucked up and asking for forgiveness. And the other one who's been, you know, who's, you know, there for people who been there, who haven't been able to be there for you in a way that you would like, you know? And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I don't necessarily like think that this film is about mental health. It's not. I I think it's like, it's a very, I find it to be a very incisive portrait of a depressed character. And even just the line, you know, that's kind of become a meme now, but the line about when Lewin Davis says, I'm, I'm so tired. And I thought I just needed a good night's sleep, but it's more than that. Like, have you ever heard depression <laughs> described better than that? <laughs> uh, so, Yeah. yeah.
1: I was like, no wonder I loved this film in 2020, and it came. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, that's exactly how I'm feeling. Like, I am laid off. I am so tired. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, yeah, I can definitely see the resonance there. Yeah, yeah, Um, for sure. So we talked a little bit about. You know, how, whether we find Lewin likable or unlikable. And like, that was a big kind of, that was a big part of the discussion when the film came out of like, is Lewin an asshole? Um, I think you and I agree that he's like, not really. No. (laughs) And so I wanted to discuss a little bit, like, how, like, break it down a little bit, kind of how, how Oscar Isaac presents lewin what he brings to the role how he kind of walks that line like we were discussing um and there was one piece that you had brought up to me when we were when we were preparing to record and you were telling me about how um oscar isaac has talked about like how much he smiled or didn't smile in this role right
1: yeah yeah and it was something that I felt like when I was really watching this lot and I was always like pointing this out to people. Cause I was like, we only him smile a handful of times in the film. Um, and I like, I think I first started really noticing this after a friend said, this guy never reaches his intended audience. And I was like, for most of the film, he doesn't have one. Like he's not compromise- compromising to people or really trying to do anything else in- I feel like most of the times we do see him smiling or when he's trying to kind of actually trying to connect or trying to put on a performance. And uh, then I heard him do an interview. I was listening to some doing stuff. Cause I'm also very into doing. Uh, and again, working with an evil Move, one of my favorite directors, like he just really, he's really hitting up all my favorites. Yeah, he's um, with some
0: great directors.
1: Um, but yeah, in a podcast, by the Hollywood Reporter he was discussing uh, the influence of Buster Keaton on his work for this film, which I think he's talked about um, actually even since, since press for the film. But he was discussing the comedy of resilience that we see throughout. And he said this, that uh, it's this space that doesn't really change, but has a melancholy to it. Everything has to be in the body and a juxtaposition. So early on, I decided what if I take away the one thing I use more than anything, which is smiling? You know, I use smiling to let everyone know, like, hey, I mean you no know harm, or hey, I'm joking when I say this, or I'm not a threat. I want you to like me. So what happens when I take that away, but I still want to communicate warmth and all of these things? And uh, in in this interview, he you know continues to describe how he went to a party and like met his wife when he was. You know, dressed and acting as the one at a party, um, and seeing kind of how that played out in a social atmosphere, and uh, how he he discovered that basically people respond in two ways: that people totally don't get it and are like completely turned off immediately, or that intimacy happens so quickly because like you're really in on something um, and people be like, are you telling a joke? Are you flirting with me? Like what's really going on? And it creates, uh, yeah, this immediate intimacy and interest. And so I think that's kind of, and it is the same way. I feel like with Lou and the character, like people immediately are like turned off and like, who is this asshole or they're immediately drawn in and like, what's going on with this guy and, and very interested. And so, you know, he kind of figure that out from, the very start when prepping obviously bringing that in into the role and it was knowing that now it's funny looking back on the reactions and how polarizing that is and it's like of course (laughs) (laughs) of course
0: I mean I love the idea that he was inspired by Buster Keaton um (laughs) because a I think the Coens are always funny. And I also think that Inside Lewin Davis is, it is funny. It's darkly funny, but it makes me laugh out loud. And so there is kind of a comedic element to it. And Oscar Isaac does pull that off. He pulls off that, you know, that dry humor, um, and I love the, I love when he goes to see Bud Grossman in Chicago and, and he puts down his record um, in front of Bud and he's like, that'll be $5. <laughs> and, and Bud Grossman like just gives him this look. And the one's like, it was a joke. It was a joke. And he's like, and Bud Grossman's like, oh, mm, sure. Okay. Yeah. It was a That's joke.
1: How you know, immediately turned off. <laughs> the connection's gone.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I don't, necessarily think about Oscar Isaac as a comedic actor. Um, and this kind of came up when I was chatting with my guests on the moon night episode is that I kind of thought about, um, one of his roles in Moon Knight is is much more comedic. And it kind of struck me as almost something new for Oscar Isaac. Like it was something I hadn't seen from him before. And it was a new type of comedy, but actually revisiting Inside Lewin Davis, I was like, this movie is really funny. funny. Like he does, Oscar Isaac does have really sharp comedic timing and he shows it off in this film. It's just, I think about all the other aspects of the film first and kind of forget like how good he is with the jokes
1: (laughs) I was re-watching this last week before doing this and there were so many times I was laughing out loud um it just how well he pulled off some of those jokes And I was yeah I think sometimes I forget that too um when watching it and that one the five dollar gets me every time
0: But yeah, I do. I, this idea of like, of Oscar Isaac kind of channeling Buster Keaton for this role of Lewin is very intriguing because I totally can see the connection. And when he describes the way that Buster Keaton would keep his face kind of the same, but the whole performance was in the physicality, excuse me, in the physicality and the humor was in kind of Buster Keaton weathering all of this stuff that happens to him. That's the comedy. Like that is, that describes Lewin Davis. I mean, it's not so physical, maybe, as it is in Buster Keaton's silent films. Um, you know, uh, Lewin Davis doesn't have a house fall on him or anything, but
1: he <laughs> might is, as well.
0: <laughs> right. He might as well. But yeah, this idea that he just kind of stays stoic in the face of like weathering all of this shit. Um, and that in itself is kind of humorous. Yeah. I don't know. I really liked that connection. I hadn't heard Oscar Isaac talk about that before with, regards to this role um and yeah once I read it I was like I can see it oh my god
1: I think of that scene of him when he's in Chicago just trudging through the snow with his stuff just completely and I was like that's it
0: and he steps in the slush
1: (laughs) Oh no! yeah and him at the at the diner and just the shoes and you're just like oh this guy (laughs) and he just keeps getting up and and trying over and over
0: he does. He does. So another thing that got a lot of attention when Oscar Isaac was doing interviews for this film, something that interviewers interviewers would ask him about a lot, um, was his history as a musician because he is a musician. He does all his singing and he does the playing too um, in this mm-hmm. film. And I know that we had discussed this when we were preparing to record that initially the Coen brothers were hoping to cast a musician in the role, but they were looking at musicians um, rather than actors. Um, And I think that's probably like how you get someone like Justin Timberlake in this film. (laughs) Which
1: remains so interesting and confusing to me every time. I I don't know if other people feel that way, but a
0: strange addition. Yeah, he does feel like He doesn't necessarily feel out of place, but he is so recognizable and his role is so small in this film. So it it is, it's just kind of, it is maybe a tiny bit distracting. (laughs) I would agree. A little bit. (laughs) I would agree. Um, But yeah, and then they ended up casting Oscar Isaac because he kind of had that combination of all the things they were looking for. Someone who had the musical talent, but also the um, the acting chops and the screen presence and all of that that they were looking for. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about Oscar Isaac's singing in this film. And also kind of, yeah, I mean, he doesn't do a lot of musical stuff on film. So I think it's really interesting that this is kind of the one that he's done. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the former, I mean, famously former ska band guy. Yeah, I think that came um, out
0: in interviews for this film, didn't it? Like, that was kind of one of Oh, the is things. that when it really... I think that's when that nugget came out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like I knew people from Florida who were like, oh, I think I saw that band play one time, and I was just like, that's absolutely hilarious. Um But, and I know that he also has like some other music up because I've listened on like Spotify and other places. And like, sometimes I've come across some of his other music, like not ska stuff, but I think, you know, once he moved to New York and was in Brooklyn doing things that has been really good. Although I'm not familiar with any band names or anything like that, but um, yeah, he's an amazing musician and I wish he would do more. (laughs) Um, And I, it, this film is just kind of like the perfect perfect timing and where he was at I feel like in his career in terms of preparation to take on a leading role his you know ability to play guitar his passion for music obviously ability to sing since the songs are recorded live on set
0: Tom Hooper eat your heart out
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um I think just, like, one of the things that just makes me feel, like, maybe Divine intervention is real is, like, when he describes how he was shooting some other, like, indie film, or, I'm not even sure which one, but there was, like, an extra on set who was just, like, hanging out at the end of the bar that they were shooting in, and, like, picked up a guitar and started playing in the Travis picking style, and he was, like, wait a minute, have you ever heard of Dave Van Ronk? <laughs> the guy's are like, yeah, I'm buddy with I used to play, whatever. And it's just like one of those crazy moments. And then, you know, even not even prepping for the role, but just prepping for the audition. Um, he I don't know if like training is really the right word, but um, you know, he worked with Sky Eric Branson to to learn how to play in that style. And it's just like, like, what are the odds in the universe that that he would run into this guy on a set who knew the guy that this is supposed to be based on, that he already had the right set of skills and just needed to hone them, was ready to take on a leading role. Like, he already loved the Coens. It's just like, come on.
0: I know. It does feel, like, very faded, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's crazy. He tells that, he's told that story a few times, Oscar Isaac has. And, yeah, and from my memory, he, like you said, he met Er um, Eric Prior to auditioning, so like mm-hmm. he he had not even gotten the role yet, but he was like <laughs> he was getting ready to to do the audition. He was
1: prepping like while the Coen brothers were out there, you know, trying to find anyone at all, and he was just like, "Give me, give me the audition."
0: Yeah, I had mentioned that I listened to the soundtrack before I saw the film, um, and I really liked the soundtrack before I saw the film. I was like into it before I saw the movie. And it's interesting that part of the way I, that I did fall in love with Oscar Isaac as a performer, as a performer was through his singing and his voice. And it's, um, it's not something that he's really done on film besides this movie. And I yeah, I wanted to ask you like, how do you, how do you feel about the soundtrack? Do you, Enjoy it on its own? Uh, like, I listen to it
1: still often. Like, I think every year there's there are certain songs from it that like show up in my Spotify rapture. I'm like, this is low key embarrassing. This is a 2013 <laughs> <song."> <laughs> and there's only like four songs on Spotify. But yeah, I think it is just definitely that comfort thing. And like, I do like folk music and, um, and I, I just, these songs I think in particular are. Are really lovely and knowing how they fit into the film now because I came to them after having seen the film. Um, There's something really lovely to it. There's you know I've come across other there are other songs I hear in my life and like you know they just make me think of this film too and and I think there's something really special to that also. Do you have favorite a favorite song from this?
0: So I absolutely. Love Hang Me Oh Hang Me. And I love how it opens up the film and like every time the movie starts I get chills. <laughs> like I just mm-hmm. I think that song both the the like the lyrics of it I think fit for the for the film and kind of set the tone and mm-hmm. also just the way that the film starts with just that kind of close up of Oscar Isaac's face mm-hmm. with the microphone and the smoke all around his head and You're just immediately drawn in. And so I love that one. I love that one on its own and in the context of the film. Um, I also, in the context of the film in particular, I really love um, the song that Lewin sings to his dad. Um, In the, it's like a care facility, right? Like the nursing home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that is just, a really devastating scene. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think that the way that Oscar Isaac sings it is so, it's kind of different from the way he sings the rest of the songs in the film. Like it's a little more, I don't know. It's a little quieter. It's a little pared back. It's a little more vulnerable. Maybe.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting my favorite song is too listen to or not my favorite songs in the film um it's like i really love dink song and uh green Ro- green rocky road especially the one from the um from, like the concert that they did which is available um i really like to listen to both of those but in the film um yeah i really like i really love the schultz of hair it um i think the first well, I shouldn't say the first time, the first rewatch of the film I had um, around 2017. I think that was really the performance in the film that captivated me most, actually. Um, and also just like the heartbreaking uh, reaction or or not reaction or <laughs> of his dad. Um, so I do think that was that. And also um, when he plays uh, Queen Jane, uh, I, I don't know if that's the full name, I can't think of it at the moment.
0: Oh, Um, the one that he plays for Bud Grossman. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I think, having said earlier that he is not necessarily trying to connect with people, like those are two moments where he's trying very hard to connect with very specific people. And those are two times where he truly just doesn't, you know, he like really misses the mark. But those are also two times where he's being very vulnerable. And the song choices are very vulnerable and speaking to something really true in him, and so it's very is heartbreaking, but also very funny in a sense.
0: You know, both, like, them, both of them but, are end with funny notes because, I mean, the the scene with um, with Bud Grossman he ends with the I don't see a lot of money here, which is funny. I mean, it's devastating, but it's funny. And I remember when I first watched the film, the first time I saw it. There was such a disconnect between like, and purposeful, I think, because you're watching the the performance and you're totally drawn in by what Lewin is doing. And you're like, Oh my God, this is beautiful. And he's feeling it and you're with him. And then Bud Grossman is so not, and it's like, so there's like this jarring disconnect between like, you know, what you're experiencing as the viewer and what Bud Grossman is experiencing because he's looking for very specific things, you know? And Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny, but I remember like being almost angry the first time I watched that scene. I was like, what the hell? Did you not see what I just saw?
1: (laughs) It is. It's like him picking in so many ways, like the literal worst song that he could pick for, you know, trying to build a career, trying to pitch himself to, you know, someone for that, but also speaking, you know, to all of these things in his life about having you know driving past akron and, and the potential little lewin that's out there and like his anxieties about the abortion and gene and like he's obviously one of the times where he's really doing something deeply authentic and true to himself and completely not connecting to the situation and and then yeah it's the same thing with his dad where he has you know he's seen this song that he sang to him as a kid that his dad loved and he's like trying find something and then in the end he just like has all these anxieties about his future being in the merchant marine and ending up in a place all by you know alone and and not cared for if he hadn't been there you know it's like that would have just been sitting there and so it isn't that that tone that the Cohens walk so well <laughs> deeply heartbreaking and deeply
0: funny <laughs> well, the scene with his dad ends with his dad like shitting his pants like he's like that's the thing where it's like the dad his dad isn't really reacting to the song he's like looking out no even though he's like not there but then like you know Lewin finishes the song and he says oh wow and you like don't know what he means until you're like oh okay that's what happened <laughs> it's just like a very again it's like so sad but like also very funny yeah like that was like the worst punctuation to that scene um but also yeah it's just absurd you know (laughs) and sad and sad um but i agree with you i do like uh dink's song the marcus mumford version that is one of my favorite songs to listen to on its own
1: yeah. And I think something not only about this song, but with many folk songs like this, I learned that the uh, the known origins, I guess, of that song were a Black woman singing it in like the early 1900s. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like this film is also discussing that kind of professionalization of folk music. And as that's, that's happening, which, you know, was this thing that was, you know, the history of it is in like poor folks and music being for everyone. and then that's something that he's also grappling with as someone who may or may not want this career in this industry. Um, and so I think it's very interesting that it was kind of like their song together as they were trying to make it and out it is back on him um, trying to figure out what he wants in the context of all of this being, you know, a broke, person trying to be true to himself and he is not, you know, is not succeeding in, a, in an industry that doesn't want him and what he's offering them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that there's something interesting about kind of Lewin's relationship to authenticity. Like what does that mean when all of these songs are. Like rooted. In something yeah, else. Rooted in a culture that isn't really his. Um, and that is kind of a question that I think the film I think it does kind of raise a little bit. I don't know if it necessarily engages with it in any explicit way.
1: Like the closest we get to that is seeing him commuting out to Queens and being like, even just within New York, like he is this kid from the outer boroughs. And he talks about the far rockaways when he's hanging out with people at dinner parties in Morningside Heights, you know, and it's like, you know, what is his, you know, what is his connection? to this and how, you know, him performing this, what does, what does the authenticity of that mean? And and folk music coming largely out of New York um, is in itself such an interesting history that is beyond the scope of what we're doing, but, but, but it's something interesting that I feel like it's brought up, but not, not too deeply explored in a film.
0: And I think that that's kind of one way in which you, when people compare Oh Brother Where Art Thou to, um, this film, I think one of the things that comes up is that the kind of the folk bluegrass kind of mountain music and O Brother Where Art Thou is in some ways kind of like an earlier version of some of the music that comes out of the folk scene in the 60s in New York. Um, and it's interesting that like T-Bone Burnett has talked a lot about like when he was doing the music for a brother where art thou he would try to find like the earliest recordings he was trying to find like the most Mm. kind of original version of these songs that don't have an original version (laughs) Um, and so obviously for that soundtrack then modern artists you know recorded versions of the songs as well but they were there was this kind of interest in like going back to the root kind of as far as much as you can with that kind of music. And then this, this film is again, like you said, kind of about a moment in time where that, that kind of music was getting you know, professionalized and turned into something more, I don't want to say mainstream. That's not exactly it, but yeah, I mean, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. The commercialization. And and it's it's interesting to watch him grapple with that throughout the film. Um, And I think that the performances really are a part of that it is you know as we just talked about, like a lot of the times where he is more vulnerable or tries to be or when he's on stage performing um i think that's where a lot of the warmth from the character comes from too um and it and it opens with that so i feel like we're immediately drawn in um with that performance but you know that's repeatedly where he's told he doesn't connect <laughs> the film is like you know the people saying like Troy's this great performer and you know these people really get it you're the background guy and it's just like over and over and over
0: (laughs) yeah I do kind of always come back to this this character of Troy because I don't I (laughs) he's so baffling to me because like his performance is fine and he's like and I and I wonder if it comes down to this like smiling versus not smiling like Troy smiles he's pleasant and so he gets farther than Lewin even though he doesn't seem it doesn't seem like he's so much more talented (laughs) like
1: I I think that's one of the parts I also laugh out loud at is I think it's I can't remember if it's Justin Humberg's character, uh, Jim, or if it's poppy when they're sitting. I think it has to be poppy because he's up there performing and he's like, oh, this guy like, yeah, you know, like he's really good. And one is like, is he really? <laughs> 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 is he? Or you know, something like that. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there like, yeah, same dude. <laughs> but it's like, it's kind of a thing where it's like, that's what sells, you know? Um and and watching Bud Grossman light up when he's like, you know, Troy. And it's like, oh God. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it's just funny. Cause I feel like we all, I mean, I feel like a lot of critics at the time mentioned the Bob Dylan kind of quote unquote cameo at the end, that there's this kind of comparison between Lewin who never really makes it or doesn't seem like he's going to. Um, and Bob Dylan kind of emerging. Um, and honestly, I see the comparison more between, between Troy and Lewin. Like They're kind of on the same level, but Troy's the one that succeeds for whatever reason, um, whether it's because he's, you know, nicer or less ethnic looking or whatever, like, who knows? And it just cracks me up because I feel like we all know that person who's like, we're equally talented. Like, we all have that colleague who it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we're equally talented. We are pretty much equally qualified in lots of ways but like that person just always gets what you're going for and you don't know why you're like what is the deal with this person what am I doing wrong why are they getting it why am I not so that always cracks me up because that's just something that like yeah so real so relatable the realist <laughs> <laughs> I mean like it's heightened in this sort of you know uh comedic cohen way uh, but it's yeah we all have a troy in our lives <laughs>
1: is it's just like the the luck thing you know how much luck plays into all of it like how much is out of your control and how people perceive you and you know i think i think that's what me it's very interesting is in this too and in, in both the performance and the character is how much you know how much of it is like what Luan is kind of putting out there and you know like also how you know how are you perceived which is something I feel like we've come back to in this podcast over and over is how people perceive him very differently and you know where I find him like a very warm empathetic character other people don't and I, I always I think that's something that's incredibly interesting about the film and the performance I think I think it's a really great thing about it too
0: I agree with you and and yeah, I mean, we've said it before, or I'll say it again, like Oscar Isaac carries this film. He is, to me, the reason that this film is as successful as it is. I can't imagine the film with anyone else in the role. He does it so well. He's so fantastic in it. And he just has never done anything similar since. It's fascinating to me. I love it. That's one of the reasons that I think... I was excited about this podcast project is because he doesn't do the same types of things ever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, one thing I will say, and you can kind of maybe agree with me or disagree with me. I think Oscar Isaac throughout his career does go between playing heroes and villains. He's played both. Um, he's played a few kind of morally gray characters. And, um, and I think that this performance, you can kind of see that in this performance like we were talking about how he's both likeable and dis- and unlikable. He's an asshole but not, he's sympathetic but not. So I can kind of you can kind of see his his capacity for both in this role.
1: Yeah. I think he does. It's a very nuanced performance and I think that set him up to do I mean I hate to be like anything he wants to do, but like, I feel like it really did set him up for a lot. And I'm, I feel like he had to have gotten so many options, which is why we see so many, so many things in his career. And, and I feel like he's really drawn to things that are like uh, these mixes of kind of humor and tragedy. I think that's probably the closest. And it's kind of what you're saying too, is in a lot of the roles that he takes, there's, there's some mix of that. Um, But yeah, I really appreciate that his roles are really all over the place. Um, You know, drama and also he is someone who bounces back and forth between more indies and he'll do shorts and small films and these huge franchises that I guess keep his production company going or whatever. (laughs) Um, And, you know, not to say that he doesn't. You know he's he's clearly passionate about those types of projects too. Um, he honestly seems like a giant nerd, which I kind of love. Um, like like I had to do Star Wars because I love it. I had to do X Men, which I never saw because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you love all of these things, <laughs> and that you'll just say yes based on based <laughs> on that alone. Um, and and there's also you know if you just want to work for the director, I think that's something like from an actor you know actors don't always just say yes because of the role it's like sometimes you want to work with other people you want directors other actors other things and so I feel like he said yes to so many things in his career and some things that I'm totally not super interested in um but it's like there are a million reasons even other than like a great script or a great role that someone may say yes to something too um when building their career and that's I haven't listened to as many, perhaps, uh, interviews with him or, or read as many to know how much he's talked about that. Um, you know those types of choices in building his career, but but I think that's interesting. And someone who I would imagine after being in a Coen Brothers film had more options than he had ever had before that. But then, still being relatively speaking early in his career, was his first leading role, and still feeling the need to say yes, probably to. Things coming your way because work necessarily ends when the set wraps so um you know so I imagine for someone who's still earlier in their career making those decisions is a little tricky as well so
0: yeah yeah I've been like looking for I call it the red string section of this podcast. I've been looking for all of these connections between all of Oscar's projects that probably are not significant at all. But I've noticed it's like, like you were saying that he will work multiple times with directors and different actors. And like, he definitely seems like, it definitely seems like there is some um, relationship based kind of decision making there, which makes sense. Because if you're working with someone on a film for weeks, you want to be with people you like.
1: Um. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) But I like what you say about this role being extremely nuanced and and not really a certain type, um, because I think this kind of being his breakthrough role did, as you said, kind of allow him to do anything. He didn't really type himself with this role. And that is something that he's talked about uh, various facets and at length about really not wanting to be typed and not wanting to do the same types of roles. So. Uh, did you have any final thoughts on Inside and Davis or Oscar Isaac in it? Hmm.
1: Well, I suppose it's too late to bring up the cat now, but... Uh...
0: <laughs> we can have a cat coda. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a cat
1: coda? I don't know. What do you think about the cat? Do you have thoughts on the cat?
0: I don't have thoughts on the cat, but I would love your thoughts if you have thoughts on the cat because the cat is so intriguing and fascinating and I, always, I want... I want to find some meaning in the cat.
1: I, well, I think it's mostly because I wore a bodega cat shirt because I couldn't find anything Lou and davis to wear, and this felt appropriate enough um, <laughs> to a New York story with a cat. Um, yeah, it's really, I know that they've said that they're like, we just threw the cat in so that there was some kind of plot, um, which I don't know. I feel like the Coen brothers are just always saying shit, so whatever <laughs> I agree with
0: you I think they um, do it for fun they say
1: shit for fun they're they just have too much fun with press they're like <laughs> fuck off just enjoy the film just do what you're gonna do with it um I seem
0: annoyed when people like ask them like what their films mean and like questions yeah, it's that like you're answer.
1: supposed to you're supposed to watch it I hate when I go to a Q&A and people ask that I'm just like watch the film and determine <laughs> or or not determine um <laughs> right. I I really do like to see it as either like a companion or a mirror to Lewin. I just feel like he and cats have really similar natures. Um, like they're kind of solitary and don't compromise for people and like definitely will lash out when, <laughs> when provoked. Um, but I think it's also kind of nice that the cats, the various cats in the film, are kind of going on this journey with him. You know, he leaves home and returns to home returns to home in the larger sense of, of New York being home and you know the cat some ulysses of course magically you know returns somehow to Morningside Heights a house cat from Greenwich Village <laughs> and you know I think there's there's something to that and I don't know that necessarily has a deep meaning but I just think that it's in a, a film with a a leading character that struggles to connect with people I think it's very interesting that he does have this kind of companion or companions um along the way who who kind of reflect that and I think I think it probably is also just the Coen's being playful but I know that the the cover of Inside Dave Rock has a cat on the cover and Inside Lewin Davis does not which is just a fun little a fun little thing that I don't necessarily think means anything but it's a delightful tidbit.
0: <laughs> it is a delightful tidbit. Yeah, and I really like your your observation about, you know, Lewin's nature kind of being, like, like cat-like. I like that.
1: Yeah. Like, if it had been, like, a dog or anything else, it's, like, absolutely not. <laughs>
0: yeah, I do think, yeah, if Lewin's gonna have an, anim- an animal companion, a cat fits him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And also, the cat is just an excuse for one of the best lines in the film. Where is his scrotum, Lewin? <laughs> <laughs> truly a classic. Uh, so, thank you for joining me to chat about this film. Uh I just watched this film to prepare for this podcast, but I want to go watch it again now. I'm like, oh, I got to watch it again.
1: <laughs> I'm like I have time tonight. So I know. Maybe so, I'll maybe I'll do a rewatch.
0: Yeah, I oh, I love this film so much and it was a pleasure to have you on because I know you love it as much as I do and it's always fun to talk about a movie that we mutually love like that's the best thing in the world is to talk about a film that you love with someone else who loves it so um thank you for being on this episode with me
1: thank you for even inviting me and letting me just ramble of at course. you about how much I love it
0: <laughs> of course you you had really great insights into this film I would not categorize it as rambling <laughs>
1: I'll take it. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So before we go, um, do, is there anywhere that our listeners can find you online if they want to um, see what you've been up to or follow you or anything you want to promote? It doesn't have to be like film related.
1: Yeah, I guess they can find me at uh, my Instagram. It seems like a place, which is my name, Kasha.noelle, which does not sound. how it is. uh, (laughs) <laughs> how it is spelled? <laughs> so it's actually I don't know if there's anywhere to write this or
0: something. But. Yeah, I can put your handle in the um, in the description. Well, thank you for joining me. It was wonderful.
1: Well, thanks. I love chatting always about Oscar's wild career. So.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. There's so much, and we're just beginning. This is just the beginning of the journey. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: The the end of Dune shot. This is just the beginning.
0: (laughs) We can have a whole episode on the desert power memes alone.
1: (laughs) Amazing. The way I use that for Thanksgiving with the dessert power memes.
0: Oh, top tier (laughs) fun. So, thanks again to Kasha for joining me for this episode. I'd like to wrap up with a little exercise I like to call the red string section. So this is the portion of the episode where I look for patterns in Oscar Isaac's filmography that may or may not be, but probably slash definitely are not significant. I did start a virtual corkboard for this podcast project, which I've been updating after every episode, and I will post that on our Twitter account so you can follow along now visually as I try to make something useful or meaningful out of all of the random Oscar Isaac trivia I've been hoarding in my brain for a decade. So without further ado, here is your handful of Inside Lewin Davis related Oscar Isaac facts for you to read into as you wish. First, Inside Lewin Davis was Oscar's first project with F. Marie Abraham, Um, Moon Knight was the second. Inside Lewin Davis is also the first of three instances where Oscar Isaac appeared on screen with Garrett Hedlund. Uh, the first or the second was Mojave and the third is triple frontier. So, uh, there's something there. We're going to get to the bottom of this Garrett Headland connection. Inside Lewin Davis is the second film in which Oscar Isaac plays Carrie Mulligan's ex ish. The first one of course was drive in 2011. And finally, Inside Lewin Davis was the first project that Oscar Isaac did with Adam Driver. He They appeared together on screen in Inside Lewin Davis before Star Wars. Ironically, in Inside Lewin Davis, Adam and Oscar sing a song together about outer space. If I missed anything, if I missed any connections, please let me know. I want my corkboard to be as complete as possible. So you can find me on Twitter at Oscar's podcast. That's podcast with two A's. Thank you again for tuning in for this episode of Oscars podcast presented by The Daily Drunk. I'm Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and I hope you'll join us next time.